quick shout out from our sponsor, Share ID. Are you trying to boost conversions to your Shopify store? Need to drive more customer loyalty? Get results fast by offering exclusive discounts to consumer communities with Share ID. Share ID helps verify students, teachers, military, first responders, and so much more of these groups. With Share ID, you'll get a verified match in seconds. You can spit out an exclusive discount for customers on the spot. Try speaking directly to a new customer segment with this verifiable identity without adding friction to the shopping experience. Continue to drive incremental revenue in the next 90 days post-purchase with more tailored messaging for your email and SMS campaigns. I personally tested ShareID to see just how easy it was to get it set up, and I was pretty much ready to go in under 15 minutes. The onboarding was simple enough for me to follow as a non-technical person. Go to shareid.com slash Shopify and start your free trial today. Once again, that's shareid.com slash Shopify and start your free trial today. Hello and welcome to e-commerce uncovered. I'm your host, Matt Lady. Each and every week I get to talk with and learn from enthusiastic guests, freelancers, agency folks, in-house marketers, and founders, all in an effort to help you bootstrap your D2C brand profitably. We got two episodes a week, which will have you staying up to date on the ever-changing industry and learning fundamental concepts and tactics to apply to your brand. Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome back. This is e-commerce uncovered. I'm your host, Matt Lady. Twice a week I speak with guests to share tactical and practical information about how to grow your DC brand profitably. Today's episode was with the former co-founder of Live Recover, which was acquired, and current founder of Vigilance. A Shopify app that's protecting DC brands from coupon leaks and injections. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Hegstad, welcome to the show, man. Hey. <laughs> Round of applause. Yeah, thank you, Adam. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for jumping on. Uh, for those that don't know Dennis, he's been around uh, in this industry since you actually needed the E before e-commerce. Uh, now it's just kind of commerce. Uh, he used to sell graphic t-shirts. He read it, his own brand, paid ads at Fashion Nova. You, you had a live recovery required, like you've been around for a while. Like what got you into it? Was it that t-shirt brand back in like 2009 or well, how'd you get your start? The t-shirt company was the first, uh, sort of commerce related thing that I did, like where we were, where I was selling something that I was also a physical good. Um, but a little bit earlier than that, I was doing like gaming stuff with counter-strike and a bunch of I wasn't a pro gamer, but I was getting paid to play video games. And so I, back then it was kind of like being a pro gamer Yeah. Uh, in 2004. And so we were selling software for gaming servers. So we were providing gaming servers to people who wanted to host their own game servers. Uh, we were selling software, but we were in high school. Uh, and then 2009 was the first e-commerce venture, though. No, that's sick. Uh, CSGO or Source? Uh, we I played Counter-Strike 1.5. Oh, before. Okay. And then I was like in like the premier league of Counter-Strike Source. I played that for like three years. And then once it evolved from that, I, I just kind of stopped playing. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. Uh, that's neat. Okay. So you got into the t-shirt biz. Um, is that something you just was it interesting a curiosity kind of like oh i'm just gonna kind of go into yeah it was like i was on myspace and i had a decent amount of myspace friends i think i had like 70 or eighty thousand or something and it was you know i i saw bands would sell t-shirts and i'd go to shows that were like screamo music and 
I liked some of the bands and I became friends with some of them. And they were like, oh, wow, you have a lot of followers. Can you promote our music? We'll pay you 30, 40 bucks or whatever, or come to the show for free, take a t-shirt. And then I'm like, oh, well now I'm finding out what does a t-shirt actually cost? And then like, I'm like, man, I could, I want to sell some stuff. And then, so I saw that there were brands that were going to things like the Vans Warped Tour and other festivals, and they were giving products to, you know, people who were wearing like singers and whoever band members that were performing on stage. And I'm like, I can do this. And so, uh, I just made my own t-shirts and hoodies and, and started, you know, I knew how to, build, I didn't know how to build a website, but I knew that WordPress had come out and PayPal had made a checkout button and so, or a buy now button. And so me and my friend, I paid a friend to help me build a website. We did all the photography, illustration work, got all the, you know, screen printing done in California. And uh, it was, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Oh, wow. That, that was pre Shopify. It seems, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll call, uh, no, that was probably before WooCommerce because you said PayPal buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah like pay, PayPal buy it now button. Wow. Um, so that's what got you into it. Uh, you did that for a couple of years, kind of sold online, yeah, went to the events. Probably like a year and a half. I went on maybe two years. I did Warp Tour two years and two summers in a row. And I was in college. And then when I was not, I mean, Warp Tour is just two months. It's like going to summer camp, except for that you're working every day and it's 100 degrees and you live on a bus, right? You get to shower once a week and it's filthy. It's fun, but it's filthy, right? But I was selling, you know, a couple grand a day, which to me was like, oh my God, I got two to 3,000 a day in cash, which is like, I'm selling these, you know, shirts for 20 or two for 30. And it cost me like five or six or something. And it, it was great. And then when I, whenever I was off the tour, right, when I got home, people who saw the products all summer that didn't buy it there were like going to the website, still seeing it on MySpace. And so I was doing the fulfillment. I was doing all the customer service, all the marketing. I was making video ads, like just whatever. Uh, I didn't know anything about paid advertising really then. And so uh, after I moved to Los Angeles in 2011, I dropped, I donated all my inventory because I realized that it, I didn't, I wasn't so passionate about that anymore. It was more of like taking me to the stage of wanting to get into something bigger, which then I realized was like, oh, the, the analytics, the full funnel of how everything works. And now I was looking at it from a little bit more of a you know, like a bird's eye view before I was just too focused on what I was doing within the MySpace sort of scene. Yeah. Man. I donated all the merch and, and moved to LA. <laughs> yeah, no, that's neat. Uh, I just need to remember and just wanted to call out that you said 70 to 80,000 MySpace friends. I, I, I didn't have that many. I had like, you know, a handful or like a hundred or 200 or something. Like, was that just like from CS, like just musicians, like different stuff? Like, I was just really, I was doing marketing shit, you know, with the same things that people do now, but like in 2005. So I would, I would take tons of different photos and I like doing Photoshop and like editing and doing photo manipulation. And I had like some high-end cameras at the time, like the digital SLR back then was like, whoa, you have a Nikon D50, like you, you have a real camera, especially when you're like 14. Uh, and so I was like taking cool photos to me. They were cool. And I was like editing them a little bit and like trying to see which pictures would get the most comments and engagement. And I would like delete the ones that didn't. And I would run like something called, I think it was called friend blaster or something. I forget. It was basically a friend adder on MySpace that would just add a shitload of friends using this software. And so I was like, obviously the more friends I have, the more t-shirts I can sell and the more 
more friends I have, the more girls are going to tell me that I'm cute. And like what 15 year old, like little emo kid doesn't want girls to be like, oh, you're so cute with your like, you know, swoopy fucking dumb hair and whatever. And like, to me, I'm like, this is great. I can make like 30 bucks every time a band wants to pay me for a bulletin post. I can sell t-shirts and girls are going to tell me that I'm cute. Obviously at that point I wasn't doing the t-shirt thing, but down the line, it was like, I kept doing this because I was selling t-shirts. The trifecta. Yeah. You got it down, man. Um, so that's cool. So then, okay. So that all that led you to LA and you were like, okay, back up bird's eye view analytics, full funnel stuff. Like what, what was that opportunity? What did you get into next after that? Basically MySpace died and Facebook became big and I'm like, okay, so what do I do? And 2009, this is well, in 2009 until 2011, Facebook was, or MySpace was dying out. Twitter was getting pretty popular and it was like in the news. Ashton Kutcher and CNN and Britney Spears raced for the first million followers on Twitter. And so at that point, I'm like, all right, abandoning ship on MySpace. Let's make a bunch of Twitter accounts. And so I made Dennis Hegseth on Twitter and then I made Dennis Hegseth one, two, three, four. And I used Tweet Blaster to add an unlimited amount of friends on those accounts as well because Twitter didn't have an API limit on how many people you could follow every day and your account wouldn't get flagged. So I followed like 80,000 people on each account in like a couple of days each with the software. And then I would unfollow everybody, do it again. And then after like a year, I was like, mm, I'm going to change these from like Dennis123 or whatever to meme accounts. And so I got into like building meme accounts on Twitter. And because I changed the name and the theme and the photos were like, you know, branded, I guess. And I kept them for months at a time while the memes were relevant. And then I would swap them. I got to like, you know, by 2012, I had about 10 million followers on Twitter. Whoa. Okay. So, and then those meme accounts. Uh... I was monetizing those accounts through this website called MyLikes. And MyLikes was like the first social advertising platform where you could get paid per click by tweeting links. And I was like making 50 to hundred bucks a day at the beginning. And then I got to the point where we we're making thousands a day. Uh, and they paid you every week. So I thought like, at that point, I thought I had everything figured out. <laughs> you stole, you st so I'm glad you answered. That was the next question. You know where I was going with that. Uh, and you had it all figured out. You're like, I, I'm, I've made it rich. 20 million or 10 million meme uh, accounts and followers and posting this stuff. Oh man. Um, okay. But it's an, it seems like it did last. <laughs> it didn't so. last in that like one, the brands obviously started to catch on to things like, what is the quality of the tweet? What are the quality of these links? So we went from making like 40 cents a click to like eight cents to like less than a penny a click to then it was like a third of a penny. And then, well, then it became, okay, now what? We should probably make our own websites and not just go through these networks that have crappy brand advertisers. And so then I started building my own software and got all my friends with a bunch of meme networks to come on my platform because I had the most premium deals for monetizing your Twitter accounts and Tumblr accounts and all these things. So that was around 20, 2014, 20, up until 2016. And then uh, that platform was called Exposely. But that kind of got me back into e-commerce because in 2016, we got some accounts banned from Google AdSense. We lost half a million dollars or more that we were owed. Also lost a lot of trust of our publishers because they thought we stole the money, even though it was like, we obviously just did not get paid because we're, it's in our best interest we lost our cut of that too. It's not like we stole some money that just never came. Um, so, and that happened to like everybody in the space at that time. Everybody was popping up their own website, and then Google's like, ah, we don't we don't think all this social media traffic is worth that much. 
while also valuing BuzzFeed at like billions of dollars for the same traffic. And then in the end, Google actually got sued for all this and they lost in court, uh, which was a pretty cool uh, case. But anyway, so we, yeah, so I ended up getting back to e-commerce because Google banned us. We lost a bunch of money, didn't have campaigns anymore because we ran a network of websites that were all monetized through Google. And then we started getting into e-commerce because e-commerce offers, we could build our own sites and then have our own networks and friends of Twitter networks all share our products. And we would say, Hey, we'll give you, you know, 30% rev share or $7 an order or whatever it is. And that kind of changed, uh, sort of changed my perspective. So then I sold, I shut down the platform, sold all my meme networks or like all my pages, which was around 12 million followers at the time of selling it. And, uh, and then I just got into e-commerce back full time. Okay. That, so that leads us to the last about six years. It seems like that's 2016, yeah, 2016 whenever I kind of, or 2015, 2016, whenever I was like getting back into e-commerce pretty seriously. Okay. And so that essentially was like affiliate marketing. What we were doing a lot of affiliate marketing. I was running paid advertising on Facebook and Instagram for affiliate offers. And at that point it was kind of like, we just wanted to make money. Right. And it's, at, of course you have integrity and you want to do your best. It's not like we were hurting anyone, but we were maybe selling products that we weren't doing a lot of QA testing on. And maybe they were sort of pseudo products. I mean, again, we weren't, I was 25 or something. I wasn't like, I was just like, Oh my God, we have a lot of traffic. We're killing it. Let's just keep going. But now it's like, okay, you want to have some more integrity, put your name behind something, really stand behind what you do. Um, but yeah, that took, it, it was affiliate marketing and then we got into e-commerce and then I, my first store that I did, I was like a, it wasn't a drop shipping store, but we, I launched a store called charcoal mask and it was in 2016. We bought like 40,000 units from China, had our own labels, box, everything had video ads that were like of the up close pores peeling off your face that just looked disgusting, but also it was called like sensational advertising. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we were just absolutely crushing it back then. But that's whenever in 2016, you could basically just run ads for anything with a video that were good and you'd get like a $4, $8 CPA and you could make 3X, 4X ROAS. Um, so I did that for a while. And then I ended up meeting the owner of Fashion Nova through one of my friends named Dan Snow. And uh, Richard from Fashion Nova was like, hey, come back to my house. And he lived in this like $20 million mansion. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, this guy's fucking balling. And we go back there and he's like, hey, do you guys know these like ads for these products that are just like getting 10 million views on a video? And I'm like, yeah, I'm familiar. And Dan and Dan also has like a brand or two that's doing similar things. And Richard goes and gets three, three black charcoal mask products, brings them out. And one of them was mine. And I was like, that's my product that, <laughs> and I put up my Shopify and he was like, okay, can you start working for me? And I was like, I don't think you can afford me, not because not because you can't afford to pay me, but because you're too smart to overpay me for work that like, cause I already make a good amount on my current store. So it doesn't make sense for me to like not do this. Are we going to pay me a hundred thousand dollars a month to run your ads? Probably not. But I ended up wanting to run his ads because knowing that I could say I was a part of scaling their paid ads, even though not to give myself that much credit, because I think anybody with one experience of Facebook ads and just advertising in general, and two has the balls to actually spend 30 to 50 grand a day can get behind a brand like a fashion Nova or a Gymshark or someone else. And you're going to do well, right? The brand already, it's not, am I going to buy? It's how much am I going to spend? That's what the customer is thinking. You don't really need to sell them on anything. You're just trying to get them to the website. 
And so for me, it was a good, good time to go in and like scale them from like, call it low six figures to seven figures a month and spend. And that's what brought us to, or brought me to the live recover thing. And, uh, it was not because I had the idea for live recover. It was actually that I was working consulting at fashion Nova and my friend here in town, who's my co-founder at live recover and now at vigilance, <clears throat> I was telling him about some of the apps and some of the impact that these apps were having, like Facebook automated messenger retargeting. One was called shop message. It was like the thing in 2017, basically it automatically opted in everyone who visited your product page. You didn't have to opt in. You had to opt out to not get a message. And like 95% of people just didn't see the box and they were just automatically getting uh, like a chat bot message after, and it was printing money for brands. Facebook got rid of it after like a year and that company, I don't know what happened to shop message, but seeing how much in, in like lift in revenue and abandoned cart recovery and whatever for say like a fashion Nova and other brands that were utilizing it was like a no brainer, but down the line, you didn't realize that like, oh shit, we have a ton of unresponded conversations now in our inbox that maybe Facebook now says it takes months for this brand to respond to you, which means that your CPMs might go up, which means that like you may have won in the short term, but unless you're responding to these conversations, you have a ton of support debt you need to climb out of. And so that's where we were like, me kind of sharing this information to my friend, he's like, dude, I, we need to build this, but like SMS cause fuck Facebook because they'll just try to charge you to like access your list and let's just do this, but provide that service that like someone doesn't generally have, which is like on demand support. And so. Yeah, that's what took us to live recover technically. Wow, yeah. So there's a bunch of those like Facebook Messenger bots and chat things like uh, back then. So it's interesting. Many chat or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Like, uh, shop message. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's amazing, and I think that uh, I'll mostly agree with what you said. But again, you had the balls to actually spend all that money each day and like uh, and scale them up. You know, so that's like a big difference than. Um, someone's like, yeah, I helped them scale, but like, you didn't like do as much or like spend as much. So, well, so fashion love is a bootstrap business too. And the founder is very capital conscious, even though they're doing an incredible amount of, you know, I think they did like a billion in revenue last year or something, but they, uh, I had respect for the fact that it's, it's like bootstrapped and we built our app bootstrapped too, because my co-founder built the technology within a couple weeks on his own. I think it was like three weeks for our MVP. I had customers. Funny or not, or funny or I don't know, not funny, but we didn't ever get Fashion Nova as a customer, even though they were kind of like one of the main reasons we got into building apps. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're, uh, the the space is interesting, and now that like we, I know you mentioned earlier that we had sold Live Recover, which was an awesome experience, but uh, bootstrapping the business was like the only reason we were able to sell the company instead of having to be like as tied to it. Right. Yeah. If you had raised uh. You had raised money and gotten, you know, lost equity in that. And then, oh, we have to get to X more revenue and then sell it for this evaluation. So that's good. Uh, I mean, a lot of people listening are bootstrap founders as well. So they're kind of in the same boat. So I know yours was an app, but you've had plenty of experience in the space and on the brand side as well. Um, if you're talking to a brand in the early stages now, this end of 2022, What's, what's something that you're going to tell them uh, with your <laughs> literally dozen years of experience and insights and you've been on all sides of like the equation? Just like what advice would you want to give them? 
I think if it depends on if your if your brand or business is like an e-commerce business, it's DTC, it's no, you're not doing anything with retail yet, and you're able to kind of be lean when you're starting out, then I think like right now is a good time to start. And, and you don't need to raise money necessarily to start with something small. I mean, like with the brand I did, it was definitely a very low capital requirement in terms of getting started. And I was doing things like, you know, paying for the design of a t-shirt and then showing like a mock-up and then selling a hundred before I even put an order in for those t-shirts to be produced. Right. So, cause I didn't have the money to cover the cost of like, let's say I had a thousand orders in the first you know, week or something. And that thousand orders may have cost me like eight grand to fulfill. But now that I had a thousand orders and pre-orders, right. And it only costs like a week to turn around and ship the product to me. Now I was like in a position where I basically got profit for launching because I sold all the t-shirts for 20 bucks and I made 20 grand to then fulfill the $8,000 PO. And then sure there was some shipping and cost of my own time and things like that. But I think that's one thing, but if you're in another position, like maybe you're starting something that costs a little bit more like a skincare brand or something where you can't just launch. Well, I don't know. I guess nowadays, actually there are low touch solutions where you don't have to go order a thousand or 10,000 units of a single SKU. Like you can, that's what I'd be looking for. Right. Depend again, it depends on where your business is. If you raised VC in the past and now you're like in a new, in a different situation because your business is trying to recapitalize by not going under, or maybe you got to like, survive that's different than if you're choosing to bootstrap and you're trying to be lean and the reasoning is could be different maybe you just like to operate a business that way the other one could be by by force because you just don't have the extra capital and i think both you know some people might say oh it's not truly bootstrapping if you're like say you have money in the bank and then you're bootstrapping your business and it's like well you're not struggling it's like well i mean what's the difference i mean your business isn't getting all the money that's in your bank account uh, so I think it depends on your personal situation and like what the, you know, how much capital the business requires to launch. But, you know, cause like you don't want to go $600,000 in debt to get all your inventory and this and that. And then you end up realizing that you need another $600,000 in advertising to, to sell all that stuff. And then, so, I mean, my advice in short should just be like, try to start as lean as possible because you can always refund people's money and, give them back their orders. So I, I would just try to validate prior to getting too invested in, into any inventory or even just like branding. Yeah. Essentially like lean startup, but for physical products, just like validate, test out early, figure out what you can do in that short amount of time. A quick reminder from our sponsor, ShareID. Find your next lifetime customers by providing verified discount codes based on occupation or life stage. Speak directly to veterans, students, teachers, first responders, and continue to tailor your messaging to them in the future with post-purchase emails and text messages. Make them feel seen with your brand by using ShareID to seamlessly verify their email in seconds during the purchase process. Go to shareid.com slash Shopify and start your free trial today. There's some really cool stuff out there. I, so I wanted to do a skincare brand before, and there's a company called, and I'm not involved with them in any way, but they're called uh, Anoxa and they make it so that like, if you wanted to get into skincare products or any kind of grooming products, they have a catalog of like 150 different SKUs and you can private label them and just order one. Their MOQs are just one. Obviously if you scale up, the prices go down. If you get one, it's like $12 a unit. If you get 
50, it's like down to $8 a unit, get a hundred. It's like $6, right? Go up to a thousand, it's like $3 a unit. But I, I just provided a label to them, like a design. And then I picked like five products and they sent me like a brand starter kit. It cost me less than 250 bucks, 225. And I could have technically got studio shots for that. I could have done them myself in like a little light box with an iPhone. And I could have put them on my website and like maybe even done some selfies with whether it's myself or a female, a parent, whoever, a girlfriend. And then all of a sudden you have a product, like you just literally launched a brand for like less than 500 bucks. Uh, and the risk is pretty low. Obviously, maybe down the line, if you're going to scale that product up or that brand up that you might want to expand out of just white labeling a formulation that anyone can have because you can't really sell a business that doesn't have a proprietary formulation uh, or not for as much. But yeah, so I don't know. I saw an and I'm like, wow, things are definitely going towards things that are more favorable for people who want to just test branding and imaging and messaging out. Yeah, no, that definitely is uh, neat. I've, I've seen a bunch of those in different uh, industries, uh, supplements or apparel uh, as well as you mentioned skincare. So I think that's the moat or I guess the differentiator is becoming the branding and marketing. Uh, all the products and all that sort of stuff is becoming more widely available. Which is, which is what I think. I think that's actually a problem though, that like we don't, nowadays people have great branding because it, it's weird. It's like a, you want the product to be amazing, right? If you look at products that are amazing, things like Cholula hot sauce, their branding has been the same since like probably the late eighties or the nineties. They don't need to reinvent their brand to be cool to Gen Z or social media people. But then like people now it's like, oh my God, I love that brand. And then you buy the brand and you're like, eh, the product was whatever. I'm not going to buy it again. So it's like, we're kind of skipping over the quality of product because it's harder to make a really good product and it's harder to make something really new in 2022, right? If you're unique and you're the first one to do something, it's like, whoa, <laughs> that's pretty hard actually. Like Truff hot sauce. It's not like there was just no one else that had done what they had, they had done. Right. Right. And so like now with social media and you've experienced this with your MySpace and Twitter and Tumblr and all this, like lately it's TikTok. Like, you know, there's distribution there and it's free in the air quotes, right? Like you can, anyone can post this content and figure it out and, you know, hack and slash your way to get eyeballs and traffic and attention. Um, you don't need like bunch of money for paid ads uh if you want to scale and grow sustainably then yeah you probably do but uh i think what you're saying is really uh, interesting about the product quality is kind of <laughs> missing and it's like oh i'm paying more for this d2c brand and like oh and shipping oh it was cool i like cool posting about it on instagram but like it actually was not good like yeah that's like waiting in line for an ice cream that's like 45 minute wait and you're like oh this ice cream is by this TikToker, and it's gonna be great you get there then you just have completely terrible stomach ache after the ice cream was subpar and you paid like 13 dollars instead of like six and then you don't want to share that how you were just like ah oh, this was a bad experience because you're like damn i just got swindled so you share it's almost like you're fueling this like environment that's not truly authentic right it's kind of it's kind of interesting um that's the social media era of like products not kind of living up to the branding but yeah so focus on product quality even though we're saying that you can 
you can well, you validate can testing, it. right? But then that, that's just a way to validate, right? Like it's just so you don't have to overinvest. Cause like, okay, to be fair, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of your first hundred customers because they definitely are the, your first hundred customers get you your first thousand, which gets you your first 10,000. But if your first 500 or a hundred or thousand customers had like a so, so experience, and then down the line, your next 9,500 customers have a great experience because you learned from those initial customers and you can try to win them back by taking care of them say, Hey, look, we remember, we, we recognize like you being there early on and we want to give you a free product now because you helped us get here. Right. It's sort of, I think at the end of the day, like those three or first group of people will make the business, but they're also not going to break the business once you kind of learn from them. Right. So, right. Yeah. No, that's great. That's a good point. Um, that's yeah, that's good. Um, so when you, you've been in different things over the years. And so have you been, have you had to hire a lot of freelancers, consultants, agencies, or do you kind of just did things yourself all the, most of the time, or have you had experience with? I'm, uh, I'm learning now slowly. It's taking probably too long. Cause I'm about to be 34, but like, I've always been just kind of doing things on my own. Um, trying to hire contractors and, and people to work with me. Sure. Cause I, I had to do engineering stuff when we built our, or I say our, it was mine, but tech platform that was called Exposely, the influencer platform. But I didn't know, I didn't do engineering, which meant that I had to hire engineers. And when engineers know that one, they know your revenue and how well you're doing because they're in, they have access to all your stuff. That means that they might take advantage of you if they know that you're doing well, especially if they know that you don't know like deep domain knowledge about what they're doing. So basically fast forward, I, I overpaid by 100,000, 150, 200,000 in development costs over time that I didn't, that I shouldn't have paid for just because of basically just ignorance on my part. And so to get around that, I was like, okay, I need to learn enough about engineering so that I can talk about it. I can audit. I can at least know how much work is being done. And and to some degree, I mean, everyone's more more or less experienced than each other. There's a range, but like, I know that if you wrote six lines of code, that this was not 40 hours of work. This was not even four hours of work. And that if you're going to tell me that you're billing me for like, you know, $4,500 for something that I can check your deploys in GitHub and see for that example, like I had to go through the, the pain and process of, of getting taken advantage of so that I knew to put myself in a position to learn. Um, now with our, you know, with live recover, we, we bootstrapped the business to, you know, multiple millions in annual recurring revenue, which was great, but we didn't hire enough people. We were kind of like, and this is something that I think is hard for, at least for me as someone who's only bootstrapped stuff, you're close to your money whenever you're, it's yours, right? It's not like, and, and you don't like, if you raise $5 million, you know, that you can spend that money. And then like, if you need to down the line, hopefully you spent that money responsibly that you might be able to raise more money because your business has grown. But when you're reinvesting all your money as a bootstrap founder founders that like that profit, if you're like not taking it off the table, if you're just reinvesting it all, you never really get to see any of it, which means that like your business could be gone in weeks or months after that. And then it's like, damn, you did all that for what? And so we, we made the, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say it's a mistake, but now I've learned that it would have been smarter to reinvest our money, but we didn't grow. We were growing very fast. We could have grown even faster if we didn't have huge profits. Like in 2020, we had huge profits and it's like, holy shit, you know, we made a 
ton of money in profits and we bootstrapped. So we're like, sweet, let's just pay ourselves, you know, our split between my co-founder and I, and we did. And then when we sold the business, the people who bought it said something interesting. They're like, why didn't you just reinvest all of the profit from the last year into growth and a salesperson and this into that? Because like you have a higher tax obligation this year and like, we're not buying the company and giving you more money because of those profits. They're in your pocket and we're not paying a premium on the profits. So like if you had basically deployed that money and grown faster, we would have been buying the company for more, which means that we would have been paying you like triple or whatever you took off four times more what you put in the pocket, put in your pocket. Right. So we're like, Oh shit. Okay. But as someone who's like, I want that, you know, money that was taken off the table because at the end of the day, we've been building this app for two and a half years and we haven't made us, you know, it's not like we're paying ourselves a fat salary. We didn't pay ourselves for the first year. And then we were paying ourselves like 4k a month for like the next year. And then eventually we were paying ourselves hundred K a year each. And so it's not like realistically, it's, it's not that much. The business was making millions of dollars, but we were only taking home a salary of hundred K each. So, you know, for, for us, I think that would be something that anybody that's in a bootstrap environment knows about. It's like, if you're in e-commerce, especially you have huge profitable months, maybe, and then you have to roll all that into inventory and sales tax and then reserves for working capital. And then you're like, shit, we have like million, a million dollars in inventory. That's always being rolled into the next batch of inventory for the next season, for the next growth for our business. It's, it's a, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it's a tough lesson to learn, but I'm, I'm sure that, you know, there's no way other way you would have learned that unless you had just gone through it that way. So yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a good lesson to learn. Right. So now I think about what we're doing with vigilance. We're, we're going to hire people, we're hiring people faster. And obviously we're going to just, our, our focus is on getting to our goal faster and then hopefully being able to scale back a little bit on the, not aggressive growth, a growth, cause we don't want to buy unprofitable growth, but we'll grow, we'll grow at the pace of like what we have coming back in as a business opposed to like trying to pad the bank reserves, you know? Right. Right. So, uh, going back to bef a little bit ago, you were talking about the contractors and live recover or exposedly before and knowing just enough and learning more about the domain knowledge. And so tying that now to someone listening is like, how, how do you know enough? <laughs> What's that balance of knowing enough about this thing, like ads or email or website or organic, like TikTok before you're able to hire someone? Like how, what, how do you suggest a founder kind of well, I think if you're doing e-commerce, right? Like you just mentioned a lot of the key moving parts for e-commerce. It's, and, and if you can't, you need to know how to do, you need to be like a generalist so that you can hire all the specialists, right? So here in this situation, you need to be able to know how to jump into Klaviyo and, or whatever other solution for email and then an SMS, if it's attentive or PostScript or live recover or whatever. You need to be able to understand how to like if you're running so if you're hiring a facebook ads agency to run ads for facebook and instagram and you don't know how to log into ads manager and you don't know how to operate around the the platform well then like you probably are doing a disservice to your team and your business by not taking the time because it's not like it's rocket science right like you have 16 year old kids on youtube learning how to run facebook ads and making money you need to be able to dive into the tools you don't have to deep dive and be a expert right but if you can jump in and see okay here are all the changes that were made here's a log of all the all the things that have happened on the account here's all this audit the the numbers same thing when it comes to like your costs and all the different apps i don't think you should be necessarily 
going in, if you're the founder and you're trying to hire agencies and partners and contractors, maybe you shouldn't be jumping in and spending, you know, weeks or months yourself setting up email flows or whatever the case may be. But like, you should be able to know how to jump in and be like, okay, like, I know it shouldn't take you this long, because I could have done this in my myself in this amount of time, which means that I was paying you for the expertise to do it faster, because I'm trying to do more with less, right. And so if it's taking you, you know, more time to get in to audit and work with the like agencies and contractors, and that's like the, the opposite of the goal, right, you're trying to free up time. Uh, so I think you should hopefully know enough about the roles that you're you know, hiring for so that you can make sure. But if you don't, then like you either need a co-founder or a partner who knows those things. Otherwise, it's a slippery slope, right? You're just kind of, you're not asking to get taken advantage of, but you're putting yourself in a position where it's very easy to get taken advantage of. Yeah, no, and that's, it's, it's difficult. It's, uh, it, yeah, it's, there's a lot of free resources out there um, that are quality and good and to learn some of this, these basics, but um, it's tough still. You're like, oh yeah, cool. This person said that they can do this. Like, okay, cool. I trust them. I gave them money. They they seem professional and organized. They seem yeah, like they know what they're talking about. Some yeah. referrals are really good. Like knowing people who are friends and not just getting referrals from people who are also friends of the people who are selling you the service. So it's like, if you wanted to know about Live Recover, of course I will tell you all about it, but like, Personally, if you want to know the truth about how brands feel about it, don't ask me because I'm going to give you the most biased answer because I'm, I'm a proud of the business. I think that the business is awesome. And I think like maybe don't even ask you because you're talking to me about it. Go ask people who are like talking badly about me or Live Recover on Twitter and then go ask people who are talking good about the company, right? And then, and then find your truth somewhere in the middle based on your own decisions. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, people are happy to pass you down the assembly line of like all wanting to take things like extract value. Right. I mean, unless you can get an unbiased, you know, opinion. So I think, yeah. And e-commerce is hard. Everyone's fixed iOS 14. So <laughs> everyone's fixed it except me. I'm an idiot. Dennis. Um, I'm the last one to fix it. So um, no, but yeah, it's just tough. Uh, a lot of people, especially in our little corner of Twitter, there's uh D to C Twitters, uh, people aren't disclosing their advisors, their investors, they get referral fees, all this stuff. So it's tough to even like, you trust these people with all these followers and like, oh, they're, they seem like trustworthy, like all these other people follow them. But yeah, it's tough to say it's tough. That's, I mean, I would assume, and I'm just saying this because what you said is true. I have some of that on my own, but I don't, I've never gotten paid an affiliate fee for promoting any kind of business, but I just don't want to. I've been offered it a lot. I just don't want to. But there's definitely brands that I've promoted that I've invested in that I'm not like always, I'm not going to tweet every single time that I'm an investor in Mad Rabbit Tattoo because I've posted that many times and I've been involved with them for two years, right? But to your point, like if someone's like, what tattoo company are you going to use? I'm obviously going to say, go use Mad Rabbit. It's like, why? Well, I'm an investor and I hope that they have the best products too. Uh, but to your point, like, audit who you're working with, especially in the community, because most people are probably getting a kickback unless that you know that they don't really need it. And that's like probably the first thing you want to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, um, there's some pretty good, the uh, off the mainstream apps of like communities or 
forums or these things that you can kind of like tap into to try to get those uh, a different perspective and a collective experience of, of founders. There's e-commerce fuel, there's Foxwell's group, there's uh, coalition with Austin Broder, there's common threads admission. Like there's a bunch of different these groups, but again, I guess just be careful because they're all like biased in their own way. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, you know, so yeah. So, um, okay. So then, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's slow the plane down and come to a landing. Uh, how do you identify the latest opportunity with vigilance? Like why discount codes? Like what, what, what happened there? Cause you kind of told us about live recover, like, Oh, I found this opportunity. So, yeah. So with, with vigilance, we, my co-founder and I in live recover had a client who was a bigger hundred million plus DTC, you know, client, and they were using us for SMS, uh, became close with the guy or gal, uh, over there at the company, the guy, and, uh, he was very like open with things that he wanted from not the platform, but just like feedback in general about Shopify. Sometimes it's kind of like banter around, around Shopify. Mm-hmm. And he said, Hey, I know this isn't really like a live recover thing, but can you guys let me know? This was in 2020 April. He said, Hey, can you guys let me know when your codes leak to honey? Because they're an issue for us. And we want to like delete the codes when they leak and refresh them with new ones that aren't leaked. And we're, and my co-founder was like, yes, that has nothing to do with our SMS business, but I can do this. And like three hours later, he had like this tool going that was a just it was just a free email every time a, you would put your domain in and then we would just tell you when codes leaked for that site and give you an email and so he kind of gave us this idea without really knowing that we were like this is a business and uh fast forward you know to now there's been like a few people who saw that we had launched this free free email notification tool and they started to build some simple tools around that same kind of case study or like edge case of coupons leaking being an issue. And, you know, if honey injects a code into your checkout and you're paying influencers a fee for their marketing, because like, you know, Matt has like lady 15 and I'm saying, Hey, me brand owner Dennis has lady 15 for you. I'll give you 10% of everything that you get from lady 15 and then lady 15's on honey. And at the end of the month, you have a thousand orders, but only like nine came from Twitter and 991 came from Honey. I'm not going to know the difference. I'm just going to see, wow, you got a thousand orders. Sweet. Let me pay you your 10%. And then I just overpaid you by like a thousand percent. Right. And so we think that this, I don't know how big of a business it is, but we were just like, wow, the fact that no one's really become the tool for it. And when you talk, when we talked about it and like even ask merchants, they said like, Hey, like there's no one who's the best at this. And so we're like, cool, why don't we just try to build that as product number one under vigilance? Um, we have some other product ideas, but we don't, you know, we're, we're not trying to think too far ahead. We're just trying to okay. focus on what's in front of us, you know? Yeah, no, that's cool, man. And it's like you said, it's already sort of validated and kind of told by you, uh, by this big, the big brand. And yeah, so it came from a good place. Yeah. I think I'm different than my co-founder. He's a very private person, no social media. He's not very <laughs> in, influenced by money. I'm money motivated. I mean, by, with good reasons, like I'm not trying to do things in a bad way. I'm, I'm oh. really motivated with passion and stuff, but like he doesn't want to do things just to make money. And so for this, this was like 
an idea that came from an organic conversation that wasn't like, let's sit down and start a SaaS business. It was like, oh, this is a very obvious business that should exist because Honey is, you know, Honey Retail, Me Not, Capital One Shopping, all of the various extensions are are damaging to brands whenever they don't know that this stuff is happening. So we're not trying to say they should go away because we need them to exist to have a business, but we want you to have visibility around what's happening just so you can control it more. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense, man. And there's no, there's no clavio or there's no attentive. There's no like obvious leader uh, for this yet. No, we're hoping that we can get big enough that, you know, someone like a Shopify or someone big enough is like, damn, you protect so many of our merchants that like, we definitely need this for all merchants and we'd love to either acquire it or help you just get, you know, more merchants by exposing you. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Awesome. Well, uh, any, uh, before we uh, head out, anything else that's been on top of your mind lately that I didn't ask you about, or you want to share for anyone that's, uh, kind of bootstrapping their business you've been in this for a while so i think right now is probably a fair time i mean of course you want to like be mindful of your conversion rate and all these things but if your costs are going up and you're not raising your prices of your products at all and they're they've just been the same for a while there's a term that and i think there's like a few apps now that are trying to solve for this automatically but it's called price elasticity which means how much you can raise your price and the conversion rate stays the same so like if i have a cost of goods that's two and I sell for 20 because I'm like, it's 10 X my cogs. Like that, that's a great return. Well, what if you can char charge 22 and it's the same conversion rate, right? Well, they just made 10% more on every order, which might be the difference between profitable ads and not profitable ads. And so I'm not saying go raise your prices a bunch, but like you can always lower your prices, right? So I think if you're testing something out that's new, whether it's a local funnel specifically for that price point, whether it's on a new ad account, I would just be, Right now is a good time to maybe test pricing just to see how much of a perceived value your product actually has. And the same way with the sale, like don't just assume that Black Friday, Cyber Monday means you need to do 60% off because you do 60% off and the conversion rate goes from 2% to 4%, but then you did 40% off and the conversion rate is still 4%. Don't give up the extra 50% in discount margin. Just find out, find out what that floor is and, and that, that can save you a, a lot of money this, this quarter. Awesome. That's a great way to end, man. I appreciate that. That's that's a good good uh good little tip there at the end, Dennis. Uh where can people find you? Where do you want to point into if they want to talk to you about oh, e-commerce or just yeah. Twitter? Yeah, we should talk on Twitter and uh <laughs> share memes and all of our emotions on Twitter through, you know, encrypted shit posts. Shit encrypted shit posts. Uh some some there's a lot of thread boys and there's plenty of memes, so uh, yeah, lot, lots of subtweets. Yeah. All righty. Yeah, a lot of subtweets. <laughs> a lot of subtweets. All right, man. Thanks for jamming. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I love being able to do this, continue to learn and meet people in this industry. Every rating review and episode you share with a friend means so much to me as I'm bootstrapping this show as part of my media brand, high key geek. If you haven't checked out my other show, brand builders, you should. It's with myself and Tom Brown and Richie Mashiko. Two times a week, we talk in a much more casual setting and we think out loud, we brainstorm, and we share our lessons as we continue to operate and run businesses in the DTC space today. We're not, we didn't exit. We didn't just consult and advise now. And we don't, we're in the trenches as we, like every day still. So we're learning in real time and sharing it with you as we go. That's Brand Builders 
on Haiki Geek YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Catch you next time.